0: Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Audiobook Stories Podcast. Today I'm going to be... uh, I can't wait to read some stories to you all. These stories are based on regular storybooks, so it's probably not really scary for the younger kids. Today I'm going to go over some things you could do to prepare yourself for some stories. First, you could go to a cozy place to sleep in, or just relax. Second, you could get your iPhone, iPod, iPad, or laptop to listen to stories. Third, you could turn on the podcast and enjoy three simple steps you could do to get to listen to some stories. Now let's start with our first story. Our story today will be Wings of Fire, The Lost Continent. Book 11. Let's get reading. Wings of Fire, The Lost Continent, by Tweed T. Sutherland. The Lost Continent Prophecy. Turn your eyes, your wings, your fire, to the land across the sea, where dragons are poisoned and dragons are dying, and no one can ever be free. A secret lurks inside their eggs, a secret hides within their book. A secret buried far below may save those brave enough to look. Open your hearts, your minds, your wings, to the dragons who flee from the hive. Face a great evil with talons united or none of the tribes will survive. Prologue. About 2,000 years ago, if you are flying directly into a hurricane, it is probably useful to be a dragon who can see the future. Then again, if you're a dragon who can see the future, you are most most likely far too smart to fly directly into a hurricane. And yet, according to Clearsight's visions, that was exactly what she needed to do. She shook out her black wings, which were already tired from how far she'd flown all morning and the day before. Her talons clung to the slippery, wet rock below her. Her scales felt itchy with salt from the ocean spray. Above her, the sun peeked warily through the cracks in the dull gray clouds. (coughs) She closed her eyes, tracing the future paths ahead of her. In one direction, south and a little east, there was a small island with a warm, sandy beach. Two coconut palms nodded toward each other, and there were lazy tiger sharks to eat. The hurricane would pass it by completely. If she went there, Clearsight could rest, eat, and sleep in safety. Then she could continue in two days, after the storm was over. But in the other direction, a long flight west and slightly north, the lost continent was waiting for her. She knew it was real now. When she left Peoria to find it, she half expected all the, to fly all the way around the world and end up back on Peoria's other coast. No one was sure another continent even existed, and if it did, everyone knew it was far too away to fly to, and any dragon would tire, fall into the sea, and drown before reaching it. But Clearsight wasn't any dragon. She had something no one else did, the ability to carefully trace the paths of multiple possible futures. Standing on the edge of Peoria, she could see which dragon direction would take her to an island where she could rest. And then the next day, to another island. Shifting her course slightly each day, guided by her visions, she had found a trail of small islands to take her safely across the ocean. A gust of wind roared over her, splattering a handful of raindrops onto her head. The hurricane was almost upon her. If she didn't leave right now, dragons on the lost continent would die. Dragons who might one day be her friends if she saved them. Dragons who had no idea what was bearing down on them because no one was there to warn them yet. Clearsight took a deep breath, vaulted into the sky, and pointed herself west. Her mind immediately started flashing through all the ways she could die in the next two days. This was why she hated flying in storms. They were too unpredictable. The smallest twitch of the wind in the wrong direction could send her plummeting to the rocks below or drive a straight, a palm branch into her heart. Don't think about that. Think about the dragons who need you. The other vision was fading. The one where she flew southeast and hid. In that one, she'd arrived on the last continent in the hurricane's aftermath. The images of the devastation and the dead bodies would be hard to shake off, even if she prevented them in reality. Will they believe me? Will they listen? To in some of her visions, they did. In some, they didn't. All she could do was fly her hardest and hope. The hurricane fought at her every wingbeat, as if she, it knew she was trying to snatch victims from its claws. Rain battered her ferociously. She felt like she'd been driven into the endless sea at any at any moment, or maybe she'd drown up here in the waterlogged sky. But this is the only. This was the only outer edge this was only the outer edge of the storm there was far worse still to come clear sight was trying to reach land before the really terrible fury behind her did she couldn't stop she couldn't slow down for a moment at one point she glanced back and saw a spout of water sucked into the air in the middle of it an orca flailed desperately before the storm flung it away a while later after the sun had apparently been swallowed for good, Cleosite saw an entire hut fly by her, then splinter apart. She had to duck quickly by to lower to a lower air current to avoid the debris. Where had it come from? Who had lived in it? She would never know, her visions told her. And then, when Cleosite was beginning to lose all feeling in her wings, she saw a shape loom out of the cliff, clouds ahead. A cliff, land, a lot of land. Whole continent, in fact. She canted her wings and soared to or the top of the top of it, where she could see a never ending line of trees tossing violently in the wind. The hurricane made one more effort to throw her back into the sea, but she fought with her last reserves until she felt earth beneath her talons. She collapsed forward, clutching the wet soil for a moment, grateful to be alive. Keep going, they're not safe yet. Clearsight pushed herself up and faced the trees. They were coming. The first two dragons she would meet in this strange new world. What would it be like to face unfamiliar tribes, completely different from the ones she knew? There wouldn't be any night wings like her there. No sand dragons, no sea dragons, no ice dragons. She'd glimpsed what these new dragons would look like, but she didn't know anything yet about their tribes, or whether they would trust her. They stopped. They stepped out of the trees, eyeing her with wary curiosity. "'Oh, they're beautiful,' she thought. "'One was dark forest green, the color of trees all around them. "'His wing curved gracefully like long leaves on either side of him, "'and the megane-brown underscales glinted from his chest. "'But it was the other two who took Clearsley's breath away. "'His scales were iridescent gold layered over metallic rose and blue, "'shimmering through the rain.' He outshone even the rain wings she'd occasionally seen in the marketplace, and those were the most beautiful dragon in Puria. Not only that, but his wings were startlingly weird. There are four of them instead of two. A second pair at the back overlapped the front ones, tilting and dipping slightly at different angles from the first pair to give the dragon a little extra agility in the air. Like dragonflies, she realized, remembering the delicate insects darting across the ponds in them mountain meadows, or butterflies, or beetles. She sat up and spread her front talons to show that she was harmless. Hello, she said in her very least threatening voice. The green one circled her slowly. The iridescent one sat down and gave her a small smile. She smiled back, although her heart was pounding. She knew she had to wait for them to make the first move. The fermetra, said the green dragon finally, in a deep, calm voice. Wayroot. Take a breath. You knew it would be like this at first. My name is Clearsight, she said, touching her forehead. I am from far over the sea. She pointed at the churning ocean stretching way off to the east behind her. Anyone speak, dragon? The two strangers exchanged surprised glances. The old language, said the shimmering dragon, awkwardly and slowly, as if pulling the words from it his memory by bit by bit. You do know it, Clearsight said, hope darting through her veins. Some little, he said. Much old. He smiled again. The green dragon said something in their own language and nodded at the ocean. The other answered, and they spoke for a few moments. If they had been a pair of night wings, Clearsight would have guessed they were arguing, but their tone was so peaceful that she couldn't really tell. The old language. I wonder if their continent and ours had more contact in the past. Maybe we will we will again in the future. I could teach them Alder, dragon, especially if some of them already know it. That way, if any more Peorians come ever, ever come this way, they could communicate. It was hard to imagine other dragons making the journey she'd made, just made, though. It, it was so far, and depended on fighting those small islands in such a vast sea but maybe she could help with that. Not soon, though. Not while I feel any temptation to wake Dark Darkstalker. I can't go to back to Pyria until I've forgotten him. So, probably never. Why are you here down? The gold-pink dragon asked her. There is a really bad storm coming, she said, as clearly as she could. Very bad. He spread his wings and looked up, smiling into the raindrops. See that, he said with a shrug. No, she shook her head. I see, she pointed to her head. I see the future. Tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day. I see all the days. This storm kills many dragons. She waved her talons at the dripping forest around them. Rips up many, many trees. Both dragons were frowning now. Free harm? growled the green dragon. Twig lost Splinterfall? But you can save them, Clear pressed. Sight pressed on. The visions were crowding into her head, and she was running out of time. She couldn't be diplomatic and patient any longer. We have to move everyone, all dragons, far, far, far inland, as far as they can fly, right now. And wait there until the storm is over. She turned to the metallic dragon, her talons clasped together. Please save them. The moment teetered. Two paths waveringly as possible. Finally, the shimmering dragon nodded. Move all. We will do. He said something in their language to the green dragon, who nodded as well. The relief hit Clearsight so hard she nearly had to lie down again. But the dragons beckoned her to follow them, and they all took off, flying cautiously through the storm-tossed treetops. Dragons appeared between the leaves as she swept through the forest with her two companions, all of them watching her with startled curiosity. Most of them were dark green and brown with leaf-shaped wings. That's their name in dragon, she realized from a new cascade of visions. Leaf wings? But about one quarter of them were the other tribe, the one Clearsight didn't have a name yet, and those glittered like jewels on the branches, gold and blue and purple and orange and every color of the rainbow. She saw a tiny lavender dragonette cling to a branch, and for a moment Clearsight was alarmed to see that she didn't have any wings. Then she spotted little wing buds on the dragon's back and remembered, or foresaw, or or remembered foreseeing that the glittering tribe grew their wings a few years after hatching. Growing up wingless—that must be so strange. Clear Sight's mind flashed over to that other vision, the horrible one, where this dragonette had been one of the many bodies left in the hurricane wreckage. But instead, tomorrow the little green, the little dragon, would wake up and chase butterflies in the sunlight, complaining that she wanted blackberries for breakfast. I saved her. I did something right. The green dragon called out in a booming voice, like a bell tolling. Whatever he said, the dragons around them repeated it, passing along, passing it along. Clearsight could hear the echoes of other dragon voices rolling through the forest. She felt the drumming wind beats behind her as both tribes rose into the air and followed them to safety. You save us, said the shimmering dragon, looping around to fly beside Clearsight. He smiled at her again. You safe now, too. Maybe I am she thought. I stopped Darkstalker. I saved Fathom and the Nightwings and my parents. And now I've found a new home with new dragons to save. I I can help them with my visions. I can do everything right this time. New futures exploded in her mind. She might marry this kind, funny dragon whose name would turn out to be Sunstreak. Or she could end up with a dragon she'd meet in three days, while helping to clean up the forest, whose gentle green eyes were nothing like dark, dark stalkers. She could move in with an affable, very old leafling named Maple, who spoke the old language, or she could find her own tree hollow to live in, or she could explore the new continent first, then come back here to build a home. And then and there would be dragonets if she wanted them. Clearsight felt a sudden dizzling rush of love for dragons who are not even eggs yet. Little Jewel and Whipsmart Tortoise Shell and Cuddly Orange. Who names their dragonets Orange. Sunstreak, apparently. They might have to have conversations about that plan. And Comma, Commodore, the King of Giggles. She would always miss the dragonets she should have had with Darkstalker, but she would love the ones that were coming with all her heart, and nothing bad would ever happen to them. They would live the longest, happiest lives because she would be here, tracking their paths, keeping them safe. She would get it right this time. Your root place, Sunstrike said, Sun-tri- said interrupting her thoughts. Where? She pointed back out to sea. Per. Peria. She waved her claws at the continent around them. This? Where? she asked. He smiled again. Pentala, he said slowly and clearly, and with evident pride. Pentala, she echoed back. The lost continent is real, and it has a name, and it's my home now. Pentala, here I am. Chapter 1 Blue was a dragon who liked things the way they were. That is, if he didn't exactly like everything about life as a silkwing, he had to admit that at least he was safe. And, you know, things were fine, really. It wasn't perfect, but at least his tribe and the hive wings coexisted peacefully. The hive wings protected them from outside threats, and everyone followed the rules, and the hive wings were beautiful and spotless, and there were always enough yams and okra to eat. So wasn't that the kind of world everyone wanted to live in? Blue wasn't sure how everyone else felt, but he wondered about it all the time. He often tried to imagine himself as other dragons. Were they all as content as he was, or was he luckier than than most? Did they all want the same things he did? What did they worry about? What did they hope for? If they seemed unhappy, why was that? His guesses were probably wrong, but he was sure. But Blue couldn't stop thinking about it. It felt like a constant tugging on his imagination. What was the fidgety dragon next to him in math class thinking while she drew hexagons in the margins of her test? What did their rose-pink neighbor worry about while he cleaned the dead dead bugs from his webs? What about the hive wings? How were their lives and hopes and lunches and morning aches and nightmares different from his? The other lives drew him like a flame or the scent of nectarines. He spent the night before his sister's metamorphosis as her... as her winding himself deep into the dream of being Luna. Perhaps her wing buds had started to flutter open as she fell asleep. Perhaps she lay awake for a while, gazing up at the shrouded stars, thinking of the moment she could leap from top from the top of the hive and race the skylarks to the sea. He thought she might also be looking forward to the moonsilk dark she would spin herself in the days of emerald-tinted sleep inside the cocoon. No one could yell at her or assign her extra work while she was in there, growing her wings. He knew Luna wasn't scared, like he would be in six days when his own metamorphosis time came. Luna had always felt ready for life with wings. Blue was not, and most of all, he was not ready for life with her wings, which meant everything changing. Once she had wings, Luna would be assigned to her work order. Soon, she'd be paired up with whichever partner the queen chose for her and given another cell to live in. She might even be moved to another hive. It was normal. It was the way life was always for the silkwings. Everyone had a metamorphosis. Everyone had a new life chosen for them. Everyone moved on. But now that it was happening to his family, Blue found it extremely nerve-wracking. He was already awake when Luna bounded across the web and started shaking him shortly before dawn. He wasn't sure that he'd slept at all. For a while, he'd been watching the tiny glow Of tiny lights moving far below them in Cicada Hive, imagining himself as one of those early rising dragons on their way to work, awake before the Sun. In the distance he could see Hornet Hive in one direction and Mantis Hive in the other, although the webs that connected them were mostly invisible in the dark. He had never been to any of the other hives, but he knew they were spread out in a wide circle around the plains of Pentala. The enormous dragon cities rose from the grassland and reached for the sky like towering dragon made echoes of the trees that used to dominate the land. Their roofs arched out like branches, and the dense silvery threads of silk wing webs created a canopy tying those branches together, so even wingless silk dragonettes could travel between hives far below the ground, far above the ground if they wanted to and were allowed to. He yawned and batted Luna's talons away, pretending he'd been in in a deep sleep. Dewdrops glittered all across the web, around and above them, as as if it had rained tiny diamonds in the night. He could see the silk-bundled shape of Luna's mother on the outer edge of their cell, still fast asleep. His own mother was on a night crew these days and had been gone since midnight. "'It's today! It's today!' Luna whispered. Her pale green tail flipped back and forth, sending tremors through the silken threads. She bounced bounced closer to Blue to poke his shoulder again and sent his hammock rocking (laughs) perilously. Hey, watch it, he teased, nudging her away. Some of us won't have wings for another six days. There were layers and layers of other strong webs crisscrossing below his family's web, ready to catch any falling dragonets. But even so, it was hard to forget how far down the ground was. He always felt safer in the hives than he did out on the webs, which he worried was not a very normal silkwing wing attitude. And some of us, she sang, will have them today! She sat up and flexed the tiny wing buds on her shoulder blades. Well, not exactly, he pointed out. Today is only your cocoon spinning day. It'll take another five days for your wings to actually... Ah! yelped as she upended his hammock and dumped him onto the web. Don't you actually me, said Luna sternly. I'm your older sister, and I've been to like 12 metamorphosis days. Plus, I have the highest grade in our class in silk studies. I can actually eat you under the table. Yes, all right, Blue said, stretching his legs one by one. You're the smartest dragon in the family, I know, I admit it. He snuck a glance over his shoulder at his own wing buds. They looked the same as yesterday, small, tightly curled, and iridescent violet, a brighter, more purple shade than the gem-like azure of the rest of his scales. Luna's wing buds were starting to unfurl, so he could see the world of cobalt and gold inside the pale green exterior. There were also signs of her silk coming in. Already her palms and wrists were glowing a little, as though tiny fireflies waking up under her scales. That'll be me soon he thought, tamping down a wave of panic. After my own metamorphosis, I'll have wings and silk too. Maybe the changes would be small. Maybe he'd be assigned to live right here and help his mother strengthen the bridges between the hives. Maybe Luna would stay too and be a hive drone like her mother, working for one of the upper class hive wing families. She wouldn't like that though. Luna wanted to be a spinner. She was hoping to be paired with Swordtail in an artist's cell near the sunny heights of the web. She wanted to make a weaving so beautiful it would have to be given to the queen of the hive Wings, who ruled both tribes, or at least to one of the queen's sisters. Blue had seen what the queen only once when she visited Cicada Hive. Queen Wasp had come through to inspect their school, with twenty hive wing soldiers marching in impressive exact unison behind her. Her scales glittered in perfect black and yellow stripes, and her eyes were large and completely black, surrounded by an oval of yellow scales. Imagining himself into her was almost impossible. It was like trying to imagine life as the sun. But he couldn't help trying. He thought about how she must wake up in the morning and eat breakfast like anyone else. Although, if the rumors were true, she ate as rarely as possible, and only predators. The head of Eliza's for lunch one day, slices of a black mamba, in squid ink soup for dinner twelve days later. He wondered if her wings felt strong or heavy as she flew from hive to hive to check on some subjects. Was she relieved to have sisters to share responsibilities with? Or did she worry that they might covet her throne? How often did she check the Book of Sight? If he were he were queen with two tribes full of thousands of dragons depending on him, Blue guessed he'd read it every day. He'd read it every day until he had it memorized. At one point during her visit, she had spotted Blue and Lena and stared at them for approximately a century and, ha- and a half by his internal clock. He'd gotten the distinct feeling that she was trying to decide between adopting them or eating them. Queen Was' visits breathtaking and superior as all the stories said. After that, her, lady's, her sister Lady Cicada, the ruler of their hive, had never seemed quite so terrifying to him again. And maybe that was the point of the Queen's visits, to remind everyone whose claws held the real power. So, Luna said, taking one of his talons in hers. My last days a dragonette. What are we going to do? Lie around in the web in the sunlight, he suggested hopefully. No, you lazy banana slug, she said. All of my favorite things. That's the correct answer. This isn't fair, he pointed out. By the time it's my Metamorphosis day, nobody will, left to d- will be left to do all my favorite things with me. You'll be all too busy flying around with your big flappy wings doing fancy busy wingish things. Luna managed not to make a face, but Blue instantly felt guilty anyway. He knew she wished Soretail could spend the day with them, too. But Zortail was on construction duty on the west side of Cicada Hive all day, probably getting dusty and frustrated and missing Luna like crazy. Sorry, Blue said. Don't be, Luna said. Once I have my wings, Zortail and I can be partnered. Then I'll see quite enough of him. She grinned, the- as though applying for the partnership actually meant they'd get it, which Blue thought was far from certain. He didn't know any adult silkwings who'd been given the partner of their choice. His mother and Luna's mother hadn't even known their father, who had been whisked away to another hive once there were eggs. Blue knew his name, Admiral, and nothing else. Better this way, though, he thought. Burnett and Silver Spot ended up loving each other much more than they could have ever have loved Admiral. They were a good family, the four of them. It had all worked out for the best. Queen Wasp and her sisters knew what they had, were doing with the partner assignments. If Luna and Shorttail weren't matched up, It would be for a good reason where do we start he asked no wait let me guess honey drops honey drops luna sang bouncing the web again and fluttering her wing buds move your tail and maybe we'll beat the line at the checkpoint he dipped his snout into their dew collector washing his antennae and the dry scales under his eyes as luna darted across their web the web to her mother Silverspot sat up and wrapped her wings around Luna quickly enough that Aunt Blue wondered whether she had been awake all night, too. Have a wonderful day, my darling. I'll try to make it to the cocoon, Silverspot promised. But I know, Luna said, it's all right. Silverspot's mistress was bad-tempered and frantically insecure about her place in the Hiveling, wing hey, Archie, and she tended to take out her rage on Silverspot with thousands of small cruelties. Keeping Silverspot from her only daughter's metamorphosis would probably be just the highlight of her year. Just think, Luna said brightly. The next time I see you, I'll have wings. We can go flying together. I can't wait, Silverspot agreed. But when she hugged Luna again, Blue caught a strange expression cough crossing her face—anxiety, fear. He felt a weird chill run through his scales. Silverspot looked as if she knew something they didn't, as if for some reason. The response su- suspected she would never see her daughter again. Chapter 2 The creeping sense of foreboding followed Blue as he clambered along the webs after Luna. The sun was rising, sending shafts of filmy gray light through the silken strands around them. The soft hum of insect, sw- insect wings rose from the tall, waving grasses of the savanna below. Luna was a reckless climber leaping from one level to the next like a monkey, or like a dragon who had already had her wings. Blue was more sensible, relying on the slight stickiness of the silk to keep it anchored as he ascended. Even so. Today he felt more airsick than he normally did. Each tremor along the silk seemed to vibrate right into his bones making his antennae twitch nervously and his teeth ache. He was relieved when they reached the hive entrance, where the webs connected to the uppermost tier of the city. There was already a line twenty dragons long, but at least they could wait on solid ground of, of the entrance tunnel. He stepped off the web onto the papery dry surface and flexed his talons. The walls of the tunnel were painted with a mural of silk wings and hive wings flying together in a bright blue sky. All of them looking as happy as Luna on a hun- on a honey drop spree. Much of the mural was covered up, though, by posters that lined the walls. Be vigilant. We are always in danger. Beware of the leaf wings. Report disloyal silk wings to a hive wing authority immediately. Queen was sees everything. Queen Wasp protects us all. All hail Queen Wasp! Leaf Wings, gone or lying in wait. Report any sightings of possible Leaf Wings to a Hive Wing Authority immediately. That last one had a drawing of a snarling dark green dragon on it, complete with blood-stained claws and teeth. It seemed as if a new poster appeared on the walls every other day, and half of them were about the threat of Leaf Wings. Luna caught him studying the picture and snorted. What? he said. Come on, she said. You're not really afraid of leaf wings, are you? Why not? he asked. They nearly wiped us h- out half a century ago. Or has my genius sister forgotten all her history lessons already? But they failed, she pointed out. And now they're extinct, so there's nothing to worry about. It's not like they can attack us if they're all dead. We don't know if that... that they... Are he argued? Tussock said he, said his uncle saw one flying overhead a couple of years ago. And what about that section of Mantis Hive that collapsed last year? Everyone said that was leafling sap sabotage. <sighs> Luna said scornfully, "What Tussock's uncle saw was a green silkwing. He's just hysterical. And that collapse caused by, was caused by shoddy workmanship. The sabotage story was obviously a cover-up." Shh, Blue said, glancing at the winged soldiers up ahead. They looked busy checking IDs, but they still might overhear Luna's treacherous talk. Look, Luna said, look, lowering her voice and rolling her eyes. No one has really seen a Leafwing in over 50 years, and we cut down all their trees. So where would they even be living if they were still alive, slithering through the tall grass of the savannah? "'No, they're gone, thanks to Queen Wasp, so all of this is totally unnecessary.' She waved her claws at the warning posters. "'The hives don't cover the whole continent,' he suggested, "'but she was already talking over him. "'The Queen needs, just needs to have a—what's it called? "'A common enemy, you know, so the Silkwings don't start complaining "'or asking for their own Queen or anything like that. "'Our own Queen?' Blue was startled. He never even thought about the Silkwing asking— the Silkwings asking for a separate queen before, it was kind of alarming that Luna had. That seemed like the kind of dangerous idea Swordtail might have put in her head. I mean, it's not that I i think we should, Luna said hurriedly, and this time she was the one to glance over at the soldiers. But, you know, someone might if they were unhappy with the way things are. Blue shook his head. I don't think so. I don't know any unhappy Silkwings. The poster behind Luna read, Loyalty Above All, with a giant drawing of Queen Wasp's huge dark eyes. Sometimes they were a comforting sight, but in the middle of this conversation, they were making him uneasy. Everything is great in the hives. We're safe, and we all work together, so I don't see what anyone would have to complain about. The line moved them within earshot of the soldiers, and they both stopped talking instinctively. Blue gazed at the long, pale blue wings of the dragon in front of him, imagining where she might be going, until finally it was their turn. Names, said one of the soldiers in a bored voice. Every Hivewing had a, at least a few black scales, inherited from their common ancestor, Clearsight, but this dragon was almost entirely black, with only a few orange flecks here and there. Blue and Luna had seen him here at this checkpoint nearly every day for three years and yet the soldier never gave any indentation, indication of recognizing them or caring that they existed beyond their IDs. His name was Hawker, not that he'd ever told them that. Blue had picked it up from listening to the guards grumbling at one another. Blue, he said, holding out his right arm. The soldier studied the letters that had been carved into Blue's palm for when he was a newly hatched dragonette. B for his name forming a triangle with a smaller B and A for his parents' names. Luna always said she was glad the marking happened while they were too young to remember, but Blue was pretty sure he he did have memories of that day. A bright light, a searing pain, and, most clearly, a sense of betrayal. Hawker grunted and moved on to examining the wrist cuff on Blue's other arm. It was a dull bronze color and annoyingly heavy, although Blue was mostly used to it by now. It indicated that he was a student at one of the schools in the Hive, so he was permitted to go in and out through this checkpoint. The name of the school was inscribed in the metal: Silkworm Hall. And I'm Luna, said his sister. Ah, said the soldier, turning to consult a list on a small rectangle of paper. Metamorphosis today. That's right, Luna said. Blue could tell she was trying so hard to not smile. Smiling at soldiers was always risky. You never know if you'd get a real rare smile back, or if you end up spending an afternoon on Misbehavior's Way for taunting a figure of authority. Blue imagined that the soldiers had to be alert and suspicious. If dragons didn't respect them, how could they keep the peace and control the Hive? But he'd also believed that Swordtail hadn't deserved it any of the three times he wound up on Misbehavior's Way. Swordtail had wild ideas, and had talked a little too freely, but he wasn't a danger to the Hive. "'You'll have a new one of these next time you come through here,' Hawker said, tapping Luna's wrist cuff, which matched Blue's. "'I know,' she said, as Blue's heart sank. "'One more change. Luna was done with school now. "'She'd have to go without her. "'Not for not for very long, though. I'll be needing a new wristband soon, too.' "'How would it feel to have this one cut off in exchange for something else? "'Surely it would be like a, a bit like having one of his toes casually replaced.' "'Well,' said the soldier. "'He looked at his list and then back at Luna again. "'You may go.' "'Hawker cleared his throat gruffly at the star forward. "'Started forward. "'Herm. "'Good luck.' "'Oh, thank you,' Luna said, startled. "'She dragged Blue forward, managing to hold on "'until they were far down the tunnel "'before she burst into giggles. "'He'd said so, he said so many words to all of us as... "'Us... "'All of a sudden, she cried.' I didn't know he knew so many words. Maybe he likes you, Blue suggested with a grin. It was a joke, but then what if he did? Blue felt himself slipping into visions of the hive Wing's possible life. Did Hawker go home and dream of the silk Wing he saw every day, but couldn't be, ever be with? Did his friends tease him about his dedication to his work? Did he like being a soldier, following orders all day long, or did he ever wish the rules were different? Ooh, maybe we'll have a forbidden love, Luna gasped, falling into Blue and knocking him back into reality. Well, I'm not going to be the one to tell Swordtail, he said. Luna laughed and started telling a story about something funny Swordtail had said the night before. Blue patted beside her, glad to be off the topic of silk going high-wing relationships. Forbidden was putting it mildly. Whatever the strongest word for illegal was, that was the right word prohibited, outlawed, punishable by death, all of those times a million. They reached the end of the tunnel, where it widened and forked into several other tunnels. The path led to the right led to the Mozac Garden, but they'd go there later, Blue was sure. It was Luna's favorite place in the hive. First, though, they made their way down to three levels, down three levels, through two more checkpoints. It was warm, as always in the hive, with the sunlight, with sunlight filtering through the walls to cast an amber glow over everything. All the hives were made up of tree stuff, which was a particular mix of wood pulp and silk and clay and other things Blue would learn about if he was assigned to a construction crew. It looked paper-thin and allowed light to filter through, but it was solid as rock. Under his talons, the tree stuff floor was dry and mostly smooth, apart from a few lumps where the workers hadn't been careful enough. The problem was, the hives had been built back when there were plenty of trees all over Pentala. Now that the trees were all gone, or mostly gone, the only wood pulp came from the shrubby little bushes that fought their way out of the dry soil of the savannah. So the only way to expand a hive was to take tree stuff from somewhere else in the hive and reshape it where you wanted it. It was hard, back-breaking work, usually given to the silkwings who caused the most trouble in school. Such as, for instance, Swordtail. Blue was really, really hoping he didn't get assigned to a construction crew. A silk work detail would be different. What his mom did in the sky between the hives was half architecture, half art. He wouldn't mind a job like that. Blue had been a good, quiet, obedient student at Silkworm Hall his whole life. Surely he'd earn a better assignment than tree stuff construction. Finally, Luna took a path to the right instead of the left, and they came to the open market of Cicada hives. This was the huge, vaulted space that hummed with activity. The best shops had permanent six-sided cells around the outer wall. Everyone else had to scramble for stalls in the lab- labyrinthine middle. Overhead, yellow and orange lanterns hung along silk filaments, crisscrossing the ceiling like necklaces of tiny suns. And, as always, soldiers perched on balconies above the market keeping a sharp eye on the hustle and bustle of the dragons below. Some of them held long, needle-like lances that looked bigger, like bigger versions of the stingers that could spring from the tip of Queen Wasp's claws. Not that Blue had ever seen her use them, but they were featured in several of the posters. Some of those here, in fact, her face loomed over the market in murals and posters, until he almost felt as though he had had a hundred lenses in his eyes, each of them reflecting her back at him. Luna led the way confidently through the maze, until Blue realized she was aiming for the best nectar store in the hive, a tall, imposing cell front with delicate sugar confections arrayed in the window. He jumped back forward and stepped on her tail, yanking her back. Ow! she yelped. What was that for? Three haughty-looking hive wings nearly ran into them, and he tugged Luna out of their way, mumbling apologies. They wrinkled their noses and spread their wings, making a few other silkwings duck to the side of the path to give them space, and then they swept away. Luna, silkwings don't go into the sugar dream, he said. Let's go to droplets, like we always do. It's my metamorphosis day, she objected. We've only, she objected. We've only ever, never, we've only never been there because we usually can't afford it. But today's different. Mother gave me enough scales for it. She said to have the best last day ever. Blue shivered involutionary. The phrase last day really wasn't helping his anxious anxiety about Silver's Spot's face this morning. Stop worrying, Luna said, nudging his shoulder. They'll take our scales no matter who we are, and these might be the best honey drops we ever get. She bounded off again, and he followed, unconvinced but aware that arguing with his sister would get him exactly nowhere. There was only one other customer in the sugar dream when they entered, an older lemon-yellow hive wing with black stripes on her wings and ruby scales freckling her nose and tail. She peered over a pair of spectacles at them, then went back to squinting at the shelves of pale pink and lavender candies. But the hivewing behind the counter stiffened and flicked his long red tail disapprovingly. His brows arched as far as high as high as they could possibly go. "Hello," Luna said cheerfully, ignoring his expression. "We'd like two honey drops, please." She touched the soft silk gray gray silk pouch around her neck as she spoke, so that the scales inside jingled. "Who's your mistress?" the clerk asked. Is she new to the hive? Should she know that shopping for luxury items is not a task traditionally entrusted to servants? We are nobody's servants, Luna said indignantly. We want them for ourselves. Nobody's servants yet, Blue added quickly. We're still in school. He pointed to their wing buds. It's her metamorphosis day, actually, so we'll know it's time soon. And then I'm sure our, uh, the dragonette. The dragons will work for, will. uh... He made himself stop talking, judging by the frown on the shopkeeper's face. It was clearly not helping. Indeed, said the sales dragon. Well, as you can see, I am currently assisting another customer. I am afraid you will have to wait. His narrow, He narrowed his eyes and tipped his chin at the spectacled dragon. Blue and Luna glanced over at her. The elderly dragon had her snout down close to a box of honey sticks. As they watched, she nudged a bag of sugar cubes closer to her and tapped it with a claw, mumbling as though she were counting each cube. Luna shot the clerk in. Are you kidding me? Look. He pretended not to see it. We can wait, Blue whispered to her. Causing trouble would only get them kicked out with no honey drops. Several long moments passed. Blue studied the beautiful spun sugar artwork behind the clerk. An elegant pale green praying mantis a glittering blue and white dragonfly, an array of different jewel-colored beetles, and several miniature wasps. He wondered if it felt disrespectful to any of the highlings to eat something their queen was named after. Was this the clerk? Was this clerk the one who had made the delicate sugar insects? Did he spend his early mornings in the back of the room of the shop, carefully pouring honey into the frozen dr- tear drops and lacing chocolate stars with spectacles of orange peel? Did he love coming here every day, or was he so sick of sweetness that all he could stomach anymore was the saltiest gazelle jerky? Blue guessed that the shopkeeper had hoped his rudeness would drive them away, and now he was regretting his choice, because it meant two silk wings were lingering in his precious store, right where anyone might wander by and see them. He probably wished he had taken their money and got rid of them quickly, but now he was stuck waiting for his other customer to make up her mind, just as they were. The door swung open, letting in a burst of noise from outside as two hive-wings entered. Their giddy chatter dropped away abruptly when they saw Blue and Lewis standing by the counter. "'Oh!' said one of them. "'Chaffer, what interesting new customers you have.' The other one giggled and edged past Blue, keeping her wings canted away from him. "'Don't worry, weevil, sir. I'm sure they'll be leaving soon.' Chaffer said, somehow managing to be oily and tense at the same time. Yes, we will, Luna piped up, as soon as we get our honey drops. Chaffer twitched his snout at her as if she were an actual moth he'd found nibbling on one of his rugs. By the hive, what a bore it must be to be wingless, Weevil said, pacing around the two silk-winged dragonettes. I bet you feel like half a dragon, hardly a dragon at all. Such little cute wing buds, though. Can I touch one? He reached out towards Luna's back. No, Luna cried, jerking away from him. Blue wasn't sure which dragon was most horrified—himself, Jefre, or the rude highwing. You can touch mine," he said quickly. "It's her metamorphosis day, so she's there. It's um better not to touch them right before they change." That wasn't true at all. Luna was just being difficult and imp, and impertinent to dragons who really who could really get them in a lot of trouble if they wanted to. Those soldiers outside would be summoned at a moment's notice by any hyphen. Oh, said Weevil. Right, of course, he added, as though he obviously knew everything of, about metamorphosis. How exciting for you, little silkwing. He reached out his talons and poked Blue's wing buds roughly, as though Weevil was trying to unfurl them by force. Blue tried not to wince. He tried to make it better by imagining Weevil's life. A family who loved him, perhaps, who hugged him a goodbye in the morning. Maybe he desperately wanted to be a soldier, but hadn't qualified for the academies. Maybe he'd been reassigned to a management or gathering job instead, which made him bitter and imperse with everyone, anyone who could he could safely push around. It was difficult, though, to slide into sympathy with this particular dragon. Possibly he was just a jerk, and had always been that way. The old hyphen with the spectacles suddenly appeared at Weevil's side. There's no need to be a brute, Weevil," she said to him. "Could you help me with these nectar vials over here? I'm afraid my own old claws will drop one." Of course, Lady Scarab, 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 Scarab," Weevil said, deferentially. He let go of Blue and dropped and followed her to the other side of the shop. Lady Sicarb? Blue thought. If she had a title, she must be related to the queen, a sister or an aunt, perhaps, but not one with her own hive. Still, she would be way up the her- toward of hive wings, which explained Weevil's behavior toward her. Hmm, some would honey drops, and now I must have them, said Weevil's friend, who had been blissfully pretending not to see Luna or Blue. We'll take eight of those, six of those little sugar wasps, and a box of apricot taffy. Make it pretty. Of course, said the sales dragon. He took a pale pink box out from under the counter and started packing her order into it. Don't say anything, Blue whispered to Luna, who was giving Cheffer her best murderous glare. It's just the way it is. To her credit, and to Blue's surprise, Luna bit her tongue until... The two hive-wings were gone, sailing out of the shop with their candy, and a few loud whispers about poor wingless street urchins cluttering up the place. "'So,' Luna said to Trevor with strained politeness, "'may we please have our honey dra- hops now? "'After I serve the lady srrr he said sniffily. "'But those you just—' Luna protested. "'I beg your pardon.' Blue turned and saw Lady Saurab eyeing Chaffer like a bone she'd already chewed on. She had moved on from counting sugar cubes to checking nectar vials under one of the lamps, but her talons were suddenly still and her tail was coiled up like a snake. Am I to understand that you are delaying these little knowings on my account? It's no trouble, Lady Saurab. Sakarab. Chaffer oozed. They can't wait. You are my first priority. Well, I don't want to be, she snapped. Serve them right now! Blue poked Luna with his tail to try to get the smug look off her face. My lady, said Shepher, I quite insist. We do not serve second-class dragons before royalty in this establishment. Even if I... I insist? She'd said coldly. They stared at each other for a long moment, and Blue suddenly got the feeling that there was something more complicated about... Lady Sereb's place in the hive than he'd realized, something that made the sales clerk willing to test the edges of her dominace, domin ants. And then the air shifted. Blue's nose twitched and twitched again. It was some kind of smell. It started small, a faint hint of rot- hint of rottenness, but slowly it grew stronger and sharper and more horrible. Luna covered her snout with a gagging sound. My lady. Chaffer cried, stumbling back as though the order had punched him in the face. Please don't. I'll have to close my shop for the rest of the day. This isn't necessary. I said, she hissed, serve them right now. He scrabbled frantically behind the counter, grabbed a small white box, dumped two honey drops, and dumped two honey drops into it. Here, he gasped at Luna. Take it. How much? she asked through her talons. Just get out of here, he begged. Blue took the box, but Luna stopped to pull a pair of scales out of her pouch. She dropped them on the counter and darted toward the door. Thank you, I think. Blue said to Lady Sra- Scarb, trying to not to breathe through his nose. She looked serene and supremely unbothered by the smell. Choose an, establish- an, an establishment friendlier to Silkwings next time. She suggested. He nodded and escaped out into the market behind Luna. Was that her? "'Luna asked as they hurried between the stalls. "'Did she need that awful smell? "'I've heard some wings have that power,' he said, "'but I didn't think anyone would ever actually use it. "'I mean, why would they?' "'To terrorize their enemies,' Luna answered. "'Moons, I I sure would. "'If I had super stink powers, "'I'd have blasted that weevil guy right in the snout "'the moment he got anywhere near our wing buds. "'Ooh, that would have been awesome.' For about two heartbeats, Blue pointed out. And then it would have been in the opposite of awesome, because you would be in jail forever. Blue, she said, don't you think it's unfair that Hivelings can use their weapons on us any time they want, but we can't do anything to fight back? No, he looked around quickly, but none of the nearby dragons reacted, as if they'd just heard treason. It was loud enough in the market, and they were moving so quickly between the stalls, and that he would... Hope oh, that no one would overhear them. The hive wings saved us. Remember, our tribe agreed to accept their queen. Plus, there's a reason why the universe gave them weapons and not us. That's the way. That's why they're in charge. But maybe if we fought back, they wouldn't be be in charge. She pointed out, "Luna." He herded her out into the tunnels that led to the other levels of the hive. His voice dropped to a whisper. For the love of silk, what's gotten into you today? I know the sword is full of crazy ideas, but please don't let him drag you into prison along with him. Those are my ideas, she said crossly. He got them from me. Well, then leave me out of it, he covered his ears. La la la, everyone's a good hive citizen here. His sister rolled her eyes. Oh, Blue, she hesitated, studying his face, and then shook her head as though she hadn't found the answer she wanted there. All right, I'm sorry. She flexed her claws and looked down at her wrists. "'It's probably because of my silk coming in. "'It hurts a lot more than I expected it to.' "'Her palms and wrists were glowing even brighter before, than before. "'Blue hadn't noticed it in the well-lit market, "'but here in the dim tunnels, it was impossible to ignore. "'She seemed to have little balls of fire clustered under her scales, "'bubbles of molten orange and gold. "'That doesn't look normal,' he said anxiously. "'I've never seen anyone's silk glands do that before metamorphosis. "'Have you?' Swordtail and his sister, Ayo, had gotten their wings not too long ago. He remembered their palms glowing a little bit, but not like this, and they hadn't mentioned anything about it hurting. Does metamorphosis hurt? Why wouldn't someone warn us about that? I'm sure it's nothing, said Luna with a shrug. Everyone goes metamorphosis a little differently. Should we take you to a doctor? No way, she said. She swiped the box of honey drops out of his talons. I'm not spending my last perfect day I getting prodded by some hive wing who thinks we're all weird and revolting. I am totally fine. To the Mozak Garden let garden let's go. Luna darted away up the tunnel. Blue rubbed his own wrists worriedly, and then followed her. He could see the glow from her scales reflecting off the tunnel walls. Is she gonna be all right? If anything, everything has to change. Could it at least be an ordinary, predictable change? Spirit of Clearsight, if you're listening, please take care of my sister. Please let her metamorphosis be normal. And if you have time, please could you also make sure she's not arrested for treason? That would be great. Thanks.